Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, my next guest is an award-winning journalist who, during four decades uh, in journalism, has published uh, some fabulous work challenging stereotypes and holding power to account. And she has a new book, Justine McCarthy. It's An Eye on Ireland, A Journey Through Social Change. And she has certainly witnessed and reported and written about that uh, during her career. Uh, She also was adjunct professor of the School of Journalism at the University of Limerick and her book launches this evening and as I mentioned being launched by a Limerick man Vincent Brown and Justine you're very welcome. Good morning to you. Good morning Justine. Good morning Joe. How are you? Can you hear me? I can I'm, now, I'm, yes. I'm just, fine, thank you. Just, yeah, good. How, how's everything in lovely Limerick? Everything is great in lovely Limerick. And uh, among many fascinating aspects of the book is the fact that you write quite personally, don't you, about your own journey in journalism, you know, from a very young age, getting involved in it, and how it itself changed um, as Ireland changed. Yeah, at the uh, encouragement of my uh, book editor, Kira Considine and Hachette, I did write this um, introduction to the book. It's, uh, I think, runs over 33 pages. And it reminded me when I was writing it, actually, when Nulo Fuelon started writing her uh, memoir as a journalist. She said that once she started writing about herself, she couldn't stop. <laughs> I sort of had that same experience because what I found was that I was writing about how I had grown up alongside my country as it grew up. And you know, I went into journalism um, in the early 1980s. I joined the Irish Independent in 1984. And the country then it is almost unrecognisable, uh, you know, as the Ireland of today. It it was so different. It was a very grey, dreary place with massive unemployment. You know, uh, nearly all my colleagues and peers would have been emigrating at the time. The population was diminished. Um, it was a very, I suppose, agricultural co- uh, country, whereas it's more urbanised now. It was dominated by the orthodoxy of one church, the Catholic Church. There were two and a half political parties. I think there were three national newspapers and one national broadcaster. And we had no Ryanair. It was very expensive to get off the island in those days. I think it was something like £200 way back then to fly to London. So that was seen as a real luxury. And to see it developing into what it is now has been just, it's been a real privilege to be able to report on it. And I mean, I mentioned uh, your work with the School of Journalism here at the University of Limerick, but when you began, there was really only one school of journalism in the country. That's right. It was the College of Commerce in Rathmines. And they only took in between 20 and 25 people every year. It was a two-year course and it was actually administered by a a body in the UK. 
And um, we, we learned the very basics. You know, the most important thing really was to learn shorthand on typing. And I suppose newspaper law, they were the main things. But when I went uh, for the interview to get into Rathmines, um, I actually failed the interview. And when I got the letter in the post uh, back at home in West Cork, I was absolutely devastated because in my head I was already a journalist out covering stories and I just cried and cried for days until my mother, my wonderful mother, dug out the telephone directory for Dublin and found the home number of the course director, Sean Egan, who who was quite a celebrity himself at the time. He was presenting a, a weekly a uh, religious program on RT television, where she rang him and she pleaded and begged him to give me an opportunity. She said she was a widow with four daughters and that, you know, this was the end of my life if I couldn't be a journalist. So he did. And that's how I very fraudulently got into journalism. <laughs> and I never told any of my fellow students or anything. Um, I was so... Uh, I was so nervous I found out. I'm interested in, you know, writing about your life and your family background and growing up and some of the other things that you uh, touched on. Did you find that difficult or cathartic or what? Uh, Both. Um, I, I start off really, I suppose, talking about the death of my father when I was four. And I found that difficult and cathartic because I think uh, as one of four daughters, um, my mother never really recovered from my father's sudden death, that we would have heard mum's narrative always. And uh, my sisters and I didn't go to my father's funeral. So... We hadn't had, I suppose, an outlet to talk about our memories of it. So it was very helpful for me. And I found actually the more I wrote, the more I remembered. Um, Because I had to reflect on what had happened. So I have some very distinct memories of that. And um, just growing up in Bandon. Uh, being sent to boarding school at the age of six, being there until I was 17, uh, you know, living with in an all-girls convent boarding school and then uh, on holidays at home in an all-female house. I had no brothers, no father. So uh, by the time I got out of school at the age of 17, I was terrified of boys and men. I'm sorry, Joe, but you were like a completely different species uh, to, to me <laughs> and then to land into Dublin into a college with you know lots of cool uh, young Dublin men was utterly intimidating but fantastic Right um, Miriam Lord uh, who uh, you would have trucked with over the years uh, another great journalist uh, she uh, writes um, the foreword uh, and she says uh, for those of us around from the beginning this collection from Justine jolts like jump leads to the complacent heart for the many who were not dive into these columns from an Ireland of not so long ago it's an eye opener because uh, much of this book are selected writings that you would have done contemporaneously and you start with Mary Robinson's inauguration don't you? 
I do. And I, I chose that because in my mind, that was one of the great turning points for Ireland. And it's really hard to explain to people and especially women who weren't around uh, in the pre-Robinson era, just how isolated um, it you felt being female in that patriarchal Ireland. Uh, she was the first woman president, of course, but she wasn't just a woman president. She was a really smart lawyer who had already brought about change through her work in the law, law courts, um, asserting uh, human rights and civil rights in in various court cases that she presented. And my memory of that day when she was in, well, first of all, my memory of the day when she was uh, Dean declared elected at the uh, presidential election count was this sort of eruption of happiness. <laughs> I remember being on a bus and looking out the window. I was on a bus going into Dublin, looking out the window and seeing people smiling and looking so happy, men and women alike. And then the day of the inauguration in St. Patrick's Hall in Dublin Castle, you know, with all its stiff formality and... Uh, uh, phalanxes of men in uh, dark suits, uh, government ministers, the cabinet, the chief justice swearing her in, all the, the heads of the different institutions of the state and society, all men and in the middle of them, this woman glowing like a beacon and you know all the phrases that she used at the time about the hand that had rocked the cradle had rocked the system um, and that she was going to light a candle in the window of the oars for the, the diaspora it just all was so meaningful and I think it triggered a great sort of it, it gave license to other women who had not told their stories to come forward. And there was this great sort of outpouring. Um, I, and I think it was a kind of a bond of sisterhood that the Robinson's election gave. You have people like Christine Buckley telling Gayburn in on, on his radio, RT radio programme, with extraordinary fluency and power about what she had suffered in uh, Golden Bridge Orphanage in Dublin. Um, people like Lavinia Kerwick, uh, whose rapist had been given a suspended sentence in the court, becoming the first uh, rape survivor to go public and to be identified, travelling to Dublin, insisting on having a meeting with the then Minister for Justice, Porrick Flynn, about uh, how unfair the law was. Um, in the 80s, we'd had the Kerry, uh, the Kerry Babies Tribunal with the awful pillaring of Joanne Hayes. There was the sacking of Eileen Flynn, the school teacher in County Wexford, because she lived with a married man and that her dismissal from the school was upheld by the High Court. I mean, this is incredible when you think back. Mm. You had the awful tragedy of Anne Lovett and her child in Granard, and it went on and on. Yeah. And, and in the midst of that, as you say, a, a woman elected President of Ireland in 1990. Uh, the book, Justine McCarthy's book, is An Eye on Ireland, A Journey Through Social Change, New and Selected Journalism. Uh, and um, you touch on many, many different subjects and that journey over the last 35 years for Ireland 
and for yourself uh, and many different subjects. Um, uh, you mentioned Ryanair, for example, um, and uh, <laughs> then you also talk one of your columns in 2021, why we need to talk about a united Ireland. Uh, and indeed, that's a, a theme that, you know, could well be a consideration over the next five to ten years, couldn't it? Definitely. Yeah, that, that there was a long time there when the body politic was terrified uh, in in south of the border to even mention the words United Ireland. And I think it was civil society really that pushed that onto the agenda. After Brexit, it became a, a real possibility for the first time. And then there's the sort of um, age and uh, religious demographic changes in the north that are adding to the need for us to talk about it. We're not going to have United Ireland if we don't discuss it in great depth and for a long time, ever before there's a referendum held. There's far too much work still to be done. I was at um, a, a very good event um, a few months ago where James Nesbitt, the uh, actor from Northern Ireland, uh, he gave the most compelling Address And there were a lot of, you know, died in the world, Republicans in the audience, and they applauded him, so, you know, so rapturously. He comes from a unionist background in the North himself and actually would have played the flute in the Orange Bands. And you know, on um, the 12th of July parades. So he was steeped and is steeped in that culture. But he, first of all, had the courage to come to Dublin and participate in a debate about this and then talked about not a united Ireland, but a new Ireland, a new Ireland, you know, with a a whole island economy that is going to benefit everybody. Um, And that will bring in sort of social changes that young people in Northern Ireland are desperately crying out for. And I think that's going to be a big reason for change in the future. Okay. Well, as I say, there's so much in this. Um, best of luck with the launch tonight, which I know is happening in Dublin. And I see the dedication is for Murrah. My best story is how you put it, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my son. That's yeah. son. My right. wonderful son. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much for your time uh, this morning and uh, the best of luck with the book. With pleasure. Thanks a million, Joe. That's Justine McCarthy there and her book, available at all good bookstores as they say, being launched this evening is An Eye on Ireland, A Journey Through Social Change and Some Social Change, she recounts, uh, particularly from 1990 onwards. Your views, your news, your limerick today with Joe Nash on Live 95.